Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome. This is Carl's Roller Coaster Podcast. It's all about co- it's sword. all about raw organic coconut oil on my face. Is that, is that what it is? <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm just gonna eat organic coconut oil all day. How's it's been going? a long time since we saw each other's faces. That's true. Uh, and it wasn't the back of a dimly lit van or a, or a dingy you know <laughs> green room in a, in a little venue. Oh my goodness! And that was a dingy van. Do you remember oh, that? Yeah. I have a, I, do. I have pictures of actually my xx band all in and you jumping inside like and there was no room do you remember that oh my god i do remember that i was just nestled amongst sausage and snack foods yes and bags of coats wow that's really weird i still have that picture somewhere popped into my head i have that picture somewhere i need to dig in and find it because that's precious that's precious so we, we have both gone on a completely transformative life journey since since those that tour i mean my god we we truly have we truly have absolutely i'm sure we're going to be touching into all of those points because so much has changed for you and for me personally as well and professionally uh but i guess back then when we met each other it was i guess early days for for chapman guitars and um you know and so much has happened for you ever since but uh, oh, but in right. order to give you know uh, some context to to people watching us and listening to us, I'd like you yeah. to please just give us a little bit of a you know an intro about um, where were you born, about your origins and uh, your musical influences, if family okay. had any influence on you in your career, you know, and uh, yeah, let's kick sure. off from there. Okay, well before I do, I apologize. My children are due home in about 45 minutes, and they'll they'll probably run around and play with unicorns and be loud. So we might hear some background uh, gremlin noises. Sounds good. Um, I was born in London in St Pancras, and uh, but I didn't really stay in England as a kid. So from London, my parents moved almost immediately um, to Luxembourg and then Holland. And I grew up really in Holland. I was in Amsterdam um, as a little kid running around a forest, trying to dig up moles with my friends, uh, discovering what a girl was, you know, <laughs> living, in, living in a flat in Amsterdam next to a giant lake that was filled with huge sort of um, floating ducks that just sort of floated in this thing and they were big taps into the into the like pretend sculptures of taps into the into the lake it was a really amazing childhood and I, I just loved it and, I, and we but when I was eight my parents decided ah, the English education system's better dad had got a contract doing something in England and so one day we we left Holland and, and I didn't know at the time we just got in a car and I was like where are we going ah we're going to England <laughs> you know that was it I had no idea and I was devastated because I had loads of friends I was starting my life you know it was for me that was a really deep profound changing experience 
I'll never forget my best friend, Marek, at the time, throwing his toys at our car as we drove away because he'd been told by his parents I was leaving, and I didn't know. Uh, so uh, that, that, it was a, a deep cut. And, um, and I think as a result, I spent a lot of my youth desperately trying to make connections and friendships and anything that would tie me to a location because I'd moved quite a lot early on. And, um, but then from that, there were some good things. I spoke reasonable French because in Luxembourg, obviously they speak Luxembourgish, but there's French as well. I went to an international school and I, I was, I was like kindergarten and I was learning, you know, French, Luxembourgish. Then in Holland, I, I learned, uh, I, I was basically a Dutch speaking kid and anyone that's been to Holland will know, super friendly, welcoming, you know, it's really chilled. Moved my moved my ass to Wiltshire in England, and it was why don't you f off back to Clogland? You're not from Rhoneir, you know. Go <laughs> go and eat some tulips, you little beardy weirdo. It was I was the foreign kid. Even the teacher, I remember clear as day, the the caretaker at the school turning to me and going, "You're not from here, are you?" And I was like, "No, I'm no, I'm from Holland." You know, it just it was like this unusual thing. Anyway. I was the little foreign kid at school. I got bullied. <laughs> Even though I was like a foot taller than anybody, I didn't know. And I, and I just went to school, did the thing. And one day at my, uh, at my senior school, John of Gaunt in Wiltshire, I heard this noise and I was like, what the fuck is that? Can I swear on this? I'm just going to swear anyway. Yeah, of course <laughs> And it was uh, a student playing guitar. Oh, I was just blown away by the sound. I mean, it, all he was doing was power chords, just, you know, like simple, like just root five. But for me, it was just the most amazing thing that ever happened, you know. And um, he said, yeah, wherever you put your finger, the note that it's on, that's what the chord is called. And then you use another finger, and it could be this one or this one. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I need a guitar. So for my 16th birthday, my parents conspired with my uncle. And they got me a white Strat copy by a brand called Falcon. And I was just awful. <laughs> I, was, I was beyond bad. I mean, I, I could... I had a really good sense of melody. I had an okay sense of rhythm, but I couldn't play guitar. I mean, I was just, I, I didn't, something was missing from the equation. I'm going to tell you quite a lot of things I haven't told a lot of other people. Carl. I like that. That's good. Yeah. Some of it won't be happy, but it will all be. But they're real. Very, sorry? But they're real. Yes, it will be real. Because I haven't opened up about a lot of this in the past because I've been kind of protecting it, but I think it's important to talk about these things. Anyway, I was missing something. And I got in a band with the kid that showed me the power chord. His name is Alex Bullis. He became my, my best friend. And, and, and he and I were in a band called Machine Head or Machine Power or something. I don't know. We made a flag that we would put behind us if we played a gig. And then, very sadly, he killed himself. 
Um, and he, he was found in a car with a, with a hose pipe, the exhaust, gassed himself. He'd been homeless for a few weeks beforehand. We, we'd had him in our house to feed him and try and help and reach out to friends and things. And, and it had been a gradual decline in his life where he'd gone from fulfilled, musical, super crazy, effervescent, full of life to just giving up completely. And it shocked me to the core. I mean, I, I, I was... Uh, 17 I just couldn't believe it I, he was my best friend and it, it did something to me and, and uh, I mean at his funeral they played Jimi Hendrix and it was this really weird experience because in my, I just couldn't get in my mind that he had gone because he was so alive so alive anyway I, I shut myself away in my in my bedroom and I, and I just was just playing and playing and playing and playing and playing to uh, I, it was therapeutic there was something in the playing that that I could lose myself in and in the process of losing myself in the playing something clicked and I just I got it something happened and I understood and suddenly I could just play the guitar like the matrix plugged in the back of the head I can play guitar and um it wasn't a pleasant experience going through that, but I made a vow to myself and to him that I would never stop in, in, in his, like, carry on for him sort of thing. I made a promise, <clears throat> which comes with its, its difficulties, because when you do something for someone else, you often forego your own, you know, what you need in your life sort of thing. So that was, in a way, that the, the making of me as a guitarist was, was the loss of a friend. And something else that that did is it, it gave me a lot of unanswered questions and sadness that I needed to catharsize. I needed to get out, purge. I needed help with it. And, and you know, my parents were amazing, but they can't. No one can sit down and say, well, some people have a lot of problems, they don't talk about them, and then they choose to end their life and it's very sad but you know, no one could really go through this with me they were all sad too so I wrote music and initially it was stuff that I would just write on an acoustic and record on a little reel-to-reel you know a little tape a little audio cassette I love those things and then I would overdub them and they were some of them were stupid songs like almost nonsensical kids stuff but there was something in them that was real and it, and it, I felt it help me like a medicine and, and honestly for anyone who's going through emotional turmoil or difficulty I cannot emphasize enough how magical music is as, as a healing thing I mean you know you listen to a song it'll make you cry or laugh or it's just it's just amazing anyway moving on I, I ended up getting guitar lessons from a teacher called Matt Evers and um, he was a Welsh guy a really good guitar shredder like he would play Testament Megadeth Metallica Sepultura and I was like oh this is gonna get all my anger out and shred and be the fastest you know player that I can and at one point I went in for a lesson, we had a coffee, sat down, he, he lit up a cigarette, and he went, Rob, 
I've got nothing else to teach you. And I was like, what do you mean? And he went, I, the, you've got everything I know. You, you better go to college. And I was like, what do you mean go to college? Because well, there's this place that's just opened in London. It's called the Guitar Institute. And it's this new place. They've got really good teachers. I think you should go there and study guitar. It's either there or you go to America and Berkeley. And I was like, I don't want to go to America. Sounds terrifying. And I'm, I'm like 17, 18 at the time. So for me, the idea of traveling to America, bearing in mind the, the internet didn't really exist, so I hadn't seen anything online. It was all just people talking or a magazine. I couldn't even contemplate going to America. So I ended up um, working in a factory for a couple of years, saving money. My parents gave me some money, which was really amazing. And I ended up going to the Guitar Institute in Acton, where I did a, a one-year diploma course, and I studied intensively for about six months, found girls, takeaway food, living in London, you know, all the normal stuff, and sort of, you know, I could, I could play pretty well when I went there, but I really wasn't paying attention to what I was learning from the incredible teachers. I mean, my teachers were David Kilminster, Sean Baxter, Barry Langton, um, just the best of the best. They were amazing, still are. And um, I took everything that I learned when the year ended, put it in a box, and then I had to get a job. And I was like, shit, this is, this is it. You know, I, I better, better get a job. I was in a band, but we weren't really doing anything. It was called Parker, but we weren't doing anything. I took all those notes and I went through them one at a time until I really understood them. And then I, I sort of had an epiphany where intervallics and modal theory were understood. I suddenly, I, I got modal theory, which was, for me, huge, because suddenly I knew why all the chords were called what they're called. I knew what I could play over a chord, and I knew my options from one chord. To, I, I knew basic harmony theory. So I started teaching guitar for five pounds an hour alongside working in optics. And I was making spectacles. I was, I was the laboratory assistant making specs in an hour at an optician called Dolan the Natureson in London. Yeah, Putney. And I ended up making glasses for three or four of these laboratories until one day, thank God, somebody rolled in a machine that literally did my job instead of me <laughs> and they were like yeah you, you don't really have a job anymore um you're really sorry about that and i was like oh my god what am i gonna do and i went back to my parents went back to to wiltshire from london <clears throat> you know no money no idea what to do ended up in a relationship uh, married uh living in wiltshire and needed it had a whole new set of friends a whole new life in a way because i'd left london everyone there moved to wiltshire it's like three hours away in a car at the time i couldn't drive i was a late driver and i made friends with a guy called lee who was incredible uh not lee the captain from anderton's but a, a guy called lee bryant and lee was this strong uh he was a blacksmith so he would make whole 
boats or bridges or intricate wrought fences or whatever. And he came to me as a guitar student. So I started teaching him, you know, rock and metal. And and then he ended up going to uh, ICMP and studying guitar. And, and, he, and, and he would do, you know, we would practice boxing together and stuff like Chinese martial arts and things. And um, we, we did it. We got a band together, did a couple of sort of local farm gigs where, you know, I was playing sort of the kinks and Beatles covers and things. And then one day he was found dead in a hedge. And I really, again, again couldn't quite believe that he had disappeared because he was this i mean he was built like an ox the strongest guy you could imagine he, he was just strong and physical and full of life he was a hard-working blacksmith boxer musician uh, and he one day i got a phone call from his brother uh, and he was he was gone he'd, he'd just been found dead and it was like this cycle. I went into it again. I, I went into a deep depression, um, a, 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 a real wishing I was religious, wishing I had something else to explain it to me. And then I, I went deeper and deeper into this hole and came out for some, God knows whatever reason, I started singing. And I started singing because we had been singing together covers and I'd written the song Breath with Lee around the time I was working with Lee. <clears throat> and so I, for some reason, it just felt right to sing. And I ended up writing so much music around the time that Lee passed away because for some reason in, in my body, I take things that are sad, the things that are angry, and I process them into music. So it's like something happens that makes me sad or angry. It comes into my body, and I deal with it by by writing music, and that's the the, the, the process of me healing, sort of thing. Not to put it too weirdy, beardy, tree hugging, spiritual. Sorry, I had a hard day of singing today. Um, <laughs> But it, it, it really helped me to, I don't really like the phrase come to terms because I don't think you can come to the terms of a friend passing. But if anyone's familiar with, with editing, Photoshop or video, it sort of reduced the opacity on the sadness. So that when I remembered Lee and Alex Bullis, I remembered the good things and the positivity and the strength and the music and the creativity and the love and I remembered less the passing and the difficulties and the pain. And, and for me, I was like, <clears throat> this is a really important thing for me to do, writing music. And so I made a decision then to write music. I would be a musician. Before, I was a guitar player. Now I was a musician. I wanted to sing and write music and record. And I recorded a song called Mantra of the Monkey Lord, which was this progressive rock thing where I'm desperately trying to sing and I sound I sound so English just the most English voice ever it's, it's painful to me um, but it was 
it was an important thing for me to do uh, to go through that um, and around this time I got headhunted by orange amplifiers to do some demonstration work for them they, they, they'd seen that I, I'd shot a video about the tiny Tara amplifier this tiny little amp head and they they really liked it and they wondered if I wanted to shoot more or did I want another amp did I want to come and see them at the headquarters and I was like yeah I mean sounds great so I went down and the the MD at the time he said to me you know we, we YouTube's this new thing and, and we see you doing really well on YouTube what about if you made some more videos for us and I was thinking I mean yeah I can't do I'd only been making them because it was just sort of fun and creative and stupid and I was an idiot just making silly videos that in a way promoted my guitar. I was teaching guitar full time, by the way. So Rob, sorry, let me just ask you. So by this time, when you engaged with Orange, you were already doing work and, and making videos for YouTube. You, yeah. What year was that more or less? Oh my God. Because you were in the forefront of this whole YouTuber kind of thing, yeah. isn't it? Well, I got lucky because I made videos on MySpace <laughs> and some one person commented, hey, you should try this new thing called YouTube. It's really cool. You can make videos on it. Anybody can see them. I mean, it was, it was like the second year that YouTube existed. We're talking about 18 years ago, I think, now. Um, and, for, and, and as a guitar teacher, I thought, well, if I make videos where I sort of say, you know, hey, this is a major scale, and um, that's how I play it, and these are the notes, and each one's an intervallic if you measure them against each other and all this kind of stuff, at least it's a resource for students, and also it's, a, it's a kind of a little advertisement. It'll stay there kind of forever, you know, because I realized when I put up posters around town, People, other guitar teachers would take them down. <laughs> I've been very lucky. I, I had done some session work for, um, at the time, EMI, for Ingrid Malmsteen. Um, and I had done some, some other sessions for Universal. And so on my guitar posters, I would put Rob Chapman, session guitar player, and then I would put quotes from Universal and EMI. But the local teachers didn't like that very much. So they would take them down or, or you know, it was a bit, I suppose, uh, competitive in Wiltshire. There weren't very many guitar teachers. And, and I had a lot of students. And I realized, well, putting up a physical poster, it gets taken down. But if I put up a video, they can't take that down. So I made videos. And it, and it, became, it became a kind of addiction. It was something that I enjoyed doing. And I wasn't taking it seriously. I was just having a laugh, you know. Um, as anyone who watches any of my early videos can see, I'm just like, you know, caffeinated, excited about life, playing guitar, blah, 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 and, and trying to purge the sadness of the loss of my friends, re really, honestly, uh, and going through a difficult relationship with my that now ex-wife, um, and in a way not dealing with that very well and hiding from it. So anyway, Orange hired me to be 
the orange clinician. And I said, well, what's a clinician? They said, well, we don't really know. We've never had one. But we think you could you could play gigs for us and represent Orange like an ambassador. Come come to guitar shows and uh, you know play at places like you know Music Mesa or, or Nam. And I was like, what's that? I'd never heard of it because the internet didn't exist. No one had ever broadcast them. I mean, the internet did exist, but no one had put videos up of the Nam show. Or music mess, or I'd never seen them. Eben Buren, or you know. So I said, "Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll go to Germany and play this thing called Music Messer." Turned up, it was the biggest. Have you been to Music Mess? No, I haven't. Have you been to the Nam show? Yes, yeah. Right, uh, Music Messer in its in its heyday was twice the size of Nam. It was wow. enormous. There were vehicles that would take you from hall to hall. Now it's not like that at all. But back in the day, Music Messer was the big show. Anyway, I'm in front of this massive fucking orange castle of amps, shredding, playing over my backing tracks. They were giving me shots of Jägermeister. I don't drink, <laughs> so I'm just like, I don't even care that I'm, I'm playing. I've just gone. Uh, Paul Gilbert walks past and gives me the rock hands, and I'm like, shoot me now. <laughs> This is, this is the best thing that ever happened in my life, you know. And um, I did what I always do, which is, like, I found a community of, of people. Uh, I love people. For me, everything about music that I love involves doing it with people. Band or in a studio. or It's the people interactions that I, I thrive on. And I found a little community of demonstrators four of us and I made really good friends with three of these guys and they demonstrated for Washburn or for PV or whatever you know whatever and one of them in particular was called Matthias Arp Matthias was the the German Joe Satriani he was unbelievable talented I don't want to say shredder because shredder is almost like a derogatory term mm. you know just like beyond comparison technique but with with a story, and when you write instrumental music, so few instrumental guitar players, to my ear, have a sense of story and lyric in the melody. And he, he had this amazing sense of of melody and story. And we we were like, we were really good friends. We used to swap backing tracks at, at these shows. So he would play some of my music, and then I would struggle playing through some of his. And uh, he played for PV, did all the demonstrations for, for the PV range and also for Buddha apps because PV bought Buddha. <clears throat> and um, we were going to record together and then one day he died. Had a aneurysm out of nowhere, just died, left behind children and a, a wife. I found out in the middle of shooting a video at World Guitars in Hitchin, which was a guitar store I was filming for. And that was the last... <laughs> I know this is difficult point. You weren't expecting any of this, and I'm very sorry. But I just feel like it's important to give you the the real story, the real origin, my origin story, if you will. Because these aren't easy things to talk about, and they're not easily digestible truths 
But these things happen all the time. And men don't talk about this shit. They don't. They bottle it up. And also, I think we should normalise... I don't want to sound like a meme, but we really should normalise talking about mental health. I think it's really important, you know. And I mean, this this poor guy had an, had an aneurysm out of nowhere, disappeared. We could, the community couldn't believe it. We were like, "What? Matthias up?" But I, I was on the phone to him th- three weeks ago on my car on the way to. He was he was working with the bassist for Joe Satch and they and they're like, "He's gone." I'm like, "I can't." I just couldn't believe it. You know, it made me realise the. You gotta do. You gotta do shit now. Don't fuck around. You have no idea what you've got. No one does. Uh, you know, <clears throat> it's it's a miracle that we even exist. And you need to full force fucking go for it if you want to do something that's important to you. And it, in a way, Matthias going was sort of that was the straw that broke the camel's back of me doing any other job you know because i was i wasn't really making a lot of money as a teacher teaching guitar and the band wasn't quite doing very well and these things it wasn't really solidifying into this is a life plan for a guy that at some point would like to have kids and you know family and but be a musician and when Matthias went, I I quit the band I was in. The band was called The Black Hand. And I'd formed that band. It was being... We were working with Eddie Kramer, who I'm still very good friends with to this day. I owe a lot to Eddie Kramer. Um, we, we had recorded at Abbey Road twice. We weren't signed, but we would have been if we'd wanted to. We had a lot going for us. But something in me needed to get out of the band. Uh, the front guy at the time was a bit of an ego, had a little bit of a drug problem, and I, and I didn't want to dedicate the music that I was writing and leave it in an environment where I wasn't really happy. For me, it was super important that the music I wrote that came from these tragedies, these people that I loved, through me was honoured and respected in a way that that fit what it was that I did because my hope was that the songs I wrote would be medicine for someone else which is what eventually happened for me so I quit the black hand went solo, wrote a bunch more songs focused on YouTube YouTube, 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 YouTube and uh, and then things started getting happier (laughs) So I got a phone call from a guy called Lee Anderton and he said, Hey Rob, I've been watching your videos. They're really cool. Anderton's is thinking of, of um, doing YouTube videos. Would you like to be, you know, could you, could you come along and be involved? So I went down, met Lee and, and immediately we were just best friends, stupid together. <clears throat> it was, uh, <laughs> from the first video we shot we were like well we're just going to do that that's just what we're going to do you know it was it was effortless it was simple and natural 
and he had a lot of my he shared a lot of my sentiments and my stupid Monty Python style British sense of humour you know and um, so I wrote music had my own thing going on did Anderton's and it was through going to Anderton's in Guildford where I eventually walked into um, a pub called the Stoke and the guy that served me at the bar was called Rabia Massad had a massive afro and he went are you Rob Chapman from YouTube and I went yeah and he went oh wow I'm at the ACM playing guitar and long story short he Dave Hollingworth and Ben Meinl were in a band called Chase and Jade and their singer had left because he was ill and they'd all come to the ACM to study I turn up and I'm looking for a band so we were like well fuck we're a band that was it and, and originally it was going to be the Rob Chapman band but I said I really don't have that kind of an ego I don't want to be the Rob please can we just be a band and they were like yeah so we ended up calling it Dorje uh-huh. and that's how Dorje formed and that's how we of... met yeah and that's how we <laughs> met <laughs> wow Rob first um, thanks for sharing all of that I think this was um, the best I don't think I can absolutely say that this was the best intro and the longest intro as well <laughs> of any chapter of my podcast so far but it was um, it was very touching to hear it because I I, I didn't know any of no, no, nobody of it I'll be honest with you Carl I've, I've only ever told um, one other podcast some of these details and I have been very hesitant to to talk about this because I mean it was a super difficult thing for me to navigate as a young man but recently when I was in America touring I met people who had said to me I had suicidal thoughts, I was in a really bad place, I had cancer, I had, and, and I watched your videos, or I listened to your music, or I did this, and I got through it. And, and for me, it's all I needed to hear to never stop. Do you know? Absolutely. It was, it had come kind of full circle, because a lot of the music, if you listen to the lyrics, or the feeling of, of, of the movements, unfortunately my music is about loss and grieving and sadness and anger when I'm happy I don't write shit N- nothing I wish probably I should join a reggae band or ska band <laughs> so to see if I could get something I'm a, I'm a super happy guy because I found my medicine my way of, of getting this out of me into something that can help other people and I didn't want to talk about it before because I didn't always know the person who would be talking to me. I know you, and I know that you are deep, spiritual, and understanding of these things, and that you would you would treat it the way it needed to be tret, <laughs> treated. So um, I felt like it was time to to be honest about what it was that made me who I am, and it was loss. 
I think it's incredible and again I thank you for sharing it because um, people see it sometimes you know those videos and hear about it and this person who's got this guitar company and plays those shows and does this and does that uh, people don't get the, the full picture and in life nothing comes easy and more often than not there is a very um, tough path to 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 get through before yeah. you actually you know uh, reap the I was going to use the benefits but it's not benefits the, the rip the gains from 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 it and um, and not a lot of people get into the details as much as you just did a lot of people even like biggest I the, the biggest you know icons and you hear the interviews and it's always very superfluous it's always very on the surface they don't really dive very much into things that are extremely important and obviously this is a very um, unique in many ways because you've been through like three different friends of yours that uh, lost their lives and it's obviously very unusual people go through those things in life but but not very often that many people and a lot of people would dive into alcohol drugs lose themselves in in, yeah. in various ways and clearly you've managed to turn a very very difficult times and moments and feelings into something extremely productive be that on on on, on tough lyrics like you just said on very uh, um, not very happy um, um, wordings in terms of putting songs together lyrics itself but you've managed to find your way and you actually like you said you, you you are not in any shape or form i would never ever imagine you being a negative person ever. No. you know what i mean <laughs> like I'm, i mean I, I only have uh you with a smile on your face when i think about rob chapman you know it's always rob with a big smile on the face it's always rob accommodating and helpful and funny and um and i remember when when we first met because this was like 10 years ago and um i remember you know uh the guys in my band they were really like talking about those chapman guitars and i was like what the hell <laughs> chapman guitars and they're all oh, those guitars blah 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 these guitars this guy i'm like oh and, and and okay we're gonna go on tour and, and and it's really interesting because from all of the things that i did in my life it was the, the <laughs> this was the thing that I myself was not actually involved on getting it. Do you know what I mean? This yeah. tour, I, I didn't get the tour. Who got the tour was actually my uh, my two other guitarists at the time. And uh, and it's just one other funny, interesting fact in life how, um, you know, that basically led us to be here today having this conversation and yeah. uh, reconnecting also after a while, not being so much in touch for various reasons. And them at the time bringing me the Chapman guitar world and the Rob Chapman world and the Dorje world back then and eventually on that particular tour that we end up doing a tour together in 2013 and I ended up meeting uh, again like uh, somebody that is up till this day a very dear friend which is Phil X Phil, and yeah. you know I mean so much came out of that I think two weeks that we were touring the UK together you know and um and i think that in life there's so many um of those things that happen as and, and it's just down to us to really kind of like 
be observant of them and 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 you know sometimes life just gets on the way and sometimes you just don't have the the will or or or, or don't really know how to basically maintain uh, relationships and i think like maintaining relationships they are so extremely important and he, again back to your story hearing those stories and sharing those stories with people it just you know gives people a, a level of hope to that you know you you can endure anything really if you put your energy towards the right things and sometimes obviously most uh, all of us we we just i mean the mind takes over our yeah. uh, head just becomes extremely heavy and we can't just uh, see uh, light at the end of the tunnel and i mean i mean i can only say that you know if i admired you before this conversation i admire you much more now Thanks, as well, man. Man. i mean i think it's important to say i don't think people need to go through suffering always to create art like i don't think it's an essential thing but i think for me the three losses each of them was a kick back onto the path i was supposed to be on for me I was too afraid to begin with and I didn't have the right mindset and I didn't know I needed it. So each time it kicked me back onto the path, but I don't think it's essential to, to go through suffering to, to be a good musician. You know, I don't want people thinking, taking away from this, Oh man, I'm going to go out and do less drugs or, or, or get upset or get my heart broken. That's like an old parody. And also, you know, you were saying, it's a good job he didn't get into drink and drugs. I tried. I mean, I tried <laughs> drinking, but I'm a complete lightweight. You know, it just didn't. It didn't do. We're it not advising me. anyone to do that, but no, you know, no, it's no. part of. You know, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I love a good gin and tonic. Sometimes I like a bit of a whiskey, Glenfiddich, if Glenfiddich's listening. But I'm way more into meals with my friends. Prop nice big, you know, Mediterranean meals, collecting stupid guitar gear that I don't need, <laughs> um, play, playing Elden Ring, um, WhatsApp chat groups with, with my buddies, you know, Pete Lee, Beer, all the guys, we just chat shit. It, it's about friends, is really what it's about. So, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. How... And I feel in many ways like. Like, I began this so long ago because I, I remember listening to some of the Dorje material from from the first EP and I'm realising, oh shit, I don't know how to do mix. Like, I'm not properly mixing. This is, I'm straining. It's a bit, it makes me feel a bit weird because I'm like, oh, damn. Why, why did I have to record that song there? But in a way, it made it sound the way it needed to sound at the time but it was so long ago and with clockwork wolf and company now i've done a lot of letting go of the requirement of perfection to the extent that we've got a gig coming up in norway where we're going to be playing with larry basilio you know kiko lorero robin ford and we, we've only we've prepared a handful of songs we're just going to jam we're just going to turn up start the song off jam in the song we're going to jam the ending we do loads of improvised middle sections we write parts as we're playing i'll, I'll create a verse I, I do a lot of improvised singing i'm free 
I freed myself of the requirement of this of the, of the perfection of technique because in Dorje it was all about everything is absolutely flawless. The singing has to be perfect. The the sections are all you know perfectly aligned and nothing changes and the tempo is set and we're playing to a click and with clockwork I, I wanted to let go of all of those restrictions and have the whole band be completely creatively free to express and what we need to do in the moment and it's it's like this new stage of, of my musical adventure because Yes, I can play technically and I can do sweeping and, you know, strange rhythms and things. But sometimes that doesn't emit a feeling, you know. Like today we were jamming in the middle of, we do a cover of To Survive from Dorje. And I found this little arpeggiated figure and I was just lost in this fucking six notes where I was just bending this thing and the guys were feeling it. And we were there for like, minute and a half just doing this <laughs> this arpeggiated sequence that just worked and then i looked at looked at the drummer and, and he was like yeah and we're back in and suddenly it's this new section and and that for me is so much fun the the the, the freedom and the uh the creativity and no gig will ever be the same you know and i, I think that's the direction i'm going in now freedom from the song, the song is guidelines now in clockwork. It doesn't have to be the be all and end all. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. uh, it's a guideline. <laughs> in terms of of artists that really influenced you, like um, music, like when you were a teenager, and oh, start, yeah. yeah. So uh, who really kind of like you? You listen to a lot, and uh, who were the very first artists that came along in your radar, and um, that you would say that definitely kind of like triggered that you know feeling of grabbing that guitar and eventually playing it. So there are obviously a, a lot of them. So rather than just tell you names of people, what I can do because I thought about this a lot is I can tell you a name and then what they did for me. So for example. When I first heard guitar on a recording and knew it was a guitar, it was The Edge from U2. Because I was like, what's that? This g -g 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 -g. And, and my dad went, that's an electric guitar. And I was like, shit, that's cool. I, I, I really like that sound. I knew I liked the sound of guitar. And then I heard Jimi Hendrix and my, my brain just exploded with what it's going left, it's going right. It's going in, it's expanding, it's contracting. It's like a three-dimensional monster thing being thrown around. Formless, like the Tao, you know, it's just this rotating energy of creation. That, for me, was huge. Peter Green, I, I discovered subtlety, nuance in guitar playing. He could be really quiet or really loud. And it made a huge difference. Him and Danny Kerwin in Peter Pete Green's Fleetwood Mac. It was all about being being a voice. You know, it was mad. But the, the two real drivers for me, Joe Satriani made me want to be a guitar player. When I heard him, it very specifically, watching him play Satch Boogie at the Seville Guitar Expo. I had it on a, on a cassette tape, VHS thing. Mm. 
I, I must have watched that performance a hundred times. I just couldn't believe how good it was. That made me want to be a guitar player, Joe Satriani. And then when I eventually finally found Metallica, that's when I wanted to get in a band. And it was, uh, I had a videotape of a Metallica kind of documentary thing where they're touring with Cliff and they go into a store and they buy beers and Lars is being so fucking funny and the whole band are this are one creature together unstoppable power of friendship and for me it was it was how they were together as a band as friends as brothers and then the music was just like whoa it's like orchestral um it's not just fifths there's thirds there's fucking sixths it, it's like this orchestration of classical music played through acoustic electric guitars and the power and all this stuff but metallica made me want to be in a band that was the vibe was there man especially i have to say james and lars because i don't know what it was i mean i love kirk i love cliff obviously but for me it was something they were just so cool <laughs> do you do you still have your records from from when when you were my teenager, vinyl your vinyl records and i mean cassettes whatever you yeah do you still have them i have a lot of vinyl in a storage in england that i'm going to ship over and most of it is, is black sabbath they can't stay here in london if you don't if you know i can that's, look that's up for them. Nice yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i actually never bought any metallica vinyl it was always on audio cassette because i was always taking it to work with me or school with me and listening to it on the little sony walkman you know yeah jesus i'm old um <laughs> I remember listening to Battery for the first time ever, putting it on a cassette. My friend had got it for me for my birthday, I put it in, and I'm like, oh, gee, I can't even fucking believe how this sounds. It was just like, like if you've never heard that kind of music before, suddenly you're hearing the, the synchronization of the drums and the guitar are one instrument. It's one thing. That's the thing. That, I think that's why I liked Lars and James so much. Is because really, when they're playing, it's one creature. You mm. know, the result is this cyborg of the two, the two of them together. Yeah. They just blew my mind to pieces. You know, were the Beatles at all any influence on you? Yeah, for sure. But more with regards to. Uh, harmony in particular vocal harmonies and um, the way in which they would move so I'm going to get a little bit sort of technical they obviously knew theory but to an extent they would do things that, that didn't fit into modal theory so they, for example they would play a chord And I moved to one from a different key. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and at the time, because I didn't think you could do that back then, I was like, what? Why does it work? It's the, it, it shouldn't be, those two chords don't sit together in a diatonic major mode. There, there are, there, those chords don't exist in that structure. So how, how, why is it allowed? Why does it work? 
how are they doing it? I didn't. I just didn't understand that you could just change key or use the circle of fifths or all these things. So I kind of, they were always confusing to me in an amazing way. Um, but really, I mean, I loved loads of Beatles stuff. I listened to lots of Beatles and didn't know it was the Beatles at the time. Because oh, my parents just put it on on vinyls and there was this track that I loved and I was like, oh, I love that track. But for some reason, I just never knew it was the Beatles, you know. Yeah, the Beatles came very late into my life, really. I mean, I've obviously listened to them, you know, in my teen ear or my teenage years and while I was still kind of like, you know, learning a lot about rock and metal and being totally influenced by all the rock and metal dinosaurs. But uh, but the Beatles actually came into my life quite late. So did um, the Rolling Stones and Pink Floyd. But finally, finally, I got it. And, and I can absolutely say that, I mean, the Beatles are my... Um, my favorite band nowadays. I mean, what an amazing position to be in. People that connected emotionally and spiritually with such a much, much simpler world. And whenever you write something, you're not comparing it to a million songs you've heard before. Because this is something I think is a bind to musicians nowadays. You write something. And because there's so much music out there that you can listen to all day long, you get, oh, am I ripping off this or that, or does it sound like that or this? When they wrote something, they were almost certain it was theirs. Do you know what I mean? If there was no, they weren't fettered or chained by the concern or ghosts of it being from something else. What I find really fascinating about the Beatles is that they, in such a, they were so young and they had like a very, very short career when you think about it, 62, 63, 69, yeah. 70, and every album was so different from each other and all of them are so great and they did it all. They, I mean, they went from, they, they, they were the first ones on, on, on everything. They were the first stadium act in the world when we didn't have PAs, you know, for, yeah. for, for music to be played out from. And the way that they maintained themselves so grounded, even getting to a point that, you know, touring for them, I mean, we just want to do music. We just want to be in the studio and create art and explore. Yeah. Even because what they were recording basically from, you know, when you get Rubber Soul onwards, Revolver, you wouldn't, it, there was no way to reproduce that live anyway, you know? And, and, and I was just listening to a podcast today with Rick Rubin and uh, Giles Martin, the son of the late uh, George Martin. And it was, he, he was basically just saying, I mean, it was just something. They, they didn't take long. It was not that they were like spending weeks or months trying to perfect sounds. They would record albums in eight, ten days. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I mean, it was just because they were really, really good. They had a great yeah. chemistry as a band, a great chemistry with the team working with them. And these people back then, they, they were great. They were good. They knew how to make make it sound good. And, yeah. um, and I find that really, really incredible. I mean, I don't know if you watched the Get Back documentary. You know, Do you know what? I say things like that. I, I, I didn't watch it. I'm not going to watch it yet. I never listened to Van Halen. I won't listen to it yet, ever. What do you mean? I've never listened to Van Halen. <laughs> I, 
No, I am. No, I'm I don't serious. believe you. I, no, no. Okay, one song because I had to listen to one song for a video. I'm saving it because I know <laughs> it's incredible. I like. I that. know one day <laughs> I am going to need some kind of inspiration, a pickup, a medicine, a remedy, and I know I'm going to put on some Van Halen, and all of my fucking influences loved that band. I know I'm going to love it. I know I'm going to want to watch the Beatles movie. Um. Uh, and there are another three or four things like that, and I'm just like, I'm saving that for me, for when I when I need it, rather than just consume it when I'm told to. I'm holding it back. I like that. I mean, I'm very super. I'm, I've I've never heard such thing from anyone. I think I do. I think I do do that to a certain extent sometimes with, uh, maybe a movie, maybe a, a, a book. Maybe like if I'm on a series of books and then I mean the third one is coming and that's the last one Maybe I'll leave that for late something like that But to, to the extent that you're a guitarist a professional musician You've made a life not only playing the instrument learning the instrument playing the instrument teaching about the instrument But actually building the instrument, you yeah. know um, And you didn't and you've never listened to Van Halen's discography and then it brings back the question of what we were just talking about a minute ago about We've only you know, we, we never know tomorrow and we only have the moment right here right now. Yeah, and um, Isn't it too risky maybe to just leave such magnificent, you know, I discography <laughs> I, I, Yeah, you're you are right um, But at the same time Okay, let me put it this way do you play guitar as well? A little well? bit, yeah. Okay. So it, anyone that plays guitar to, to, a, to a, a good competency will remember a feeling of when they suddenly understood what their heroes were doing. Hmm. And it was um, it dispelled the magic a little bit. And I want to delay that as much as possible with a lot of a lot of my heroes and it's difficult because when i hear music i can kind of see it on the fretboard and you know when i hear a vocal like tina turner i love tina turner when i hear her singing i can kind of feel where it would be in in, in the area you know is it head is it mix or whatever and because so many of my influences were influenced by van halen and bands by the way i've done it with alcatraz too i haven't listened to Alcatraz. um I really wanted not to listen to the source until I made a decision that it was the time because I felt like it, it would be a real, it's going to be a special, I mean, can you imagine when I finally listen to Van Halen, I'm going to get a bottle of whiskey, sit down <laughs> in, in, a, in a room and, we, and I'm going to put on, you know, one of the albums and I'm going to be like, this is just Oh like, my God, yeah. <laughs> It's going to be mind blowing. I, I find it amazing nowadays that uh, it, it it happens to me uh, in many different ways. Like from listening to, because with uh, obviously DSPs, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, and all that. Nowadays, yeah, it's so. I mean, everything is so accessible. So, for example, um, I would never dive into full discographies of several different artists if it wasn't because of digital music. Because I wouldn't yeah. go to a record store and like buy. Uh, 
the whole uh, Muddy Waters discography to listen to if it wasn't because of DSPs and by do by having access to that I'm discovering still so many so many artists from the past you know that is that are just simply incredible and even like uh, just like I said like you know uh, artists that you would I grew up you know uh, knowing about and hearing about but like okay Pink Floyd yeah I knew the the, the wall obviously you know I knew a little bit of Dark Side of the Moon but I've never actually engaged with the whole discography and then understanding what's going on behind the machine as they they themselves actually mentioned in uh, Welcome to the Machine on Wish You Were Here um, like what was happening with them at the time as individuals and I, I find it I find it incredible the fact that we can do that nowadays with you know digital music and leaving like an entire discography on the side like Van Halen's I'm, I'm like I mean what happens if you're in a car with someone and then on the radio yeah, it, I, mean, I mean it's impossible to not have I've been, I've, I've been in a in a band van and they went to put Van Halen on and I've gone could we Skip put on some much. sugar or something <laughs> just just let me have this one at some point it, it's just I want to have those I mean ideally I'd have it on vinyl and have a good vinyl player. I move. The dream is I move into my new. I bought a house. I move into my new house. Probably about a year from now. Get my studio set up. Bottle of Glenfiddich. Put on the vinyl. Bad, 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 bad. <laughs> you know. And I'm going to be like, fuck. And then I'll probably write three albums of instrumental shred. You know. Amazing, amazing. It's a, it's a well to draw well. from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know, get, yeah. The Get Back documentary is like. I mean, I watched like twice and it's a very long documentary for anyone to watch it twice, but it's just imagine like having like nowadays everyone films everything like, you know, you go in yeah. the studio, several cameras. But I mean, even that the Beatles did a documentary filming everything back in in the in late 60s. I mean, there, there's nothing that the Fab Four didn't do it. And it's fantastic to see the synergy the magic and and that was not their prime that was like a moment of which they were not yeah, you know, at yeah, the yeah. peak of their inspiration or even of their re personal relationships with each other and you see managers and them talking and paul and 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 john having um a discussion but they were so ahead in in every aspect of um, like you know artistically um, as individuals as as, as, as you know uh, um, human beings that even their discussions were I mean it was it was clever it was intelligent it was quiet it was it was I mean honestly it's just it's beyond me I think I th honestly I think I, I say this to all my friends musicians um, people that work with music it's like dude it's a gift to have access to such preciosity you know it's like i mean you, you gotta watch that because that's like that's you know if if, if you watch that i mean you learn every, i mean on my from my perspective pretty much like a huge chunk of how to how to do things if you want to be in in this crazy industry which is you know the the music industry Pro probably it's up there with that metallica documentary where they where they brought in you know some kind of monster that some kind of monster was for me was was life-changing 
you know, that and Pantera vulgar videos <laughs> with suicidal tendencies and everything. Oh man, fuck, I love that so much. Um, yeah, I, I am very excited to watch the relationships and see the creation of the meat. I've even turned off during the trailers because I don't, I don't want to see it yet. I, I'm like that. I save things for the right time because it's useful. Because if I'm continually absorbing all the time, all the time, all the time, it doesn't always hit the way it should do. Whereas if I wait until I'm ready, sometimes it hits in a way that it needed to. How do you keep tab of those things? Do you have like a book or something that you write things down so you don't forget it? Because there must be quite a few things in... in uh, I, I, have a, I keep things in drafts in my email. Like Winger about to release an album. I'm not listening to that until I'm ready. Because when I was a kid, I loved Winger. You know, um, yeah, Alcatraz, Winger. Uh, there's an old Fantastic Negrito album that I love, Cypress Hill. Um, what happens with <laughs> what happens? Sorry, what happens with live music? Are there any artists that you're like, I love these guys so much, and I'm gonna wait till <laughs> to go nah, see them live? No. <laughs> if, if it's a band that I really love, I'll, I'll see them live. You know, but. You can't go see Van Halen live now. You know, closest I got to it was was supporting Extreme. You know, um, but and I haven't had the chance to see a lot of live music. Really, living in Malta, kind of doing my thing here, which has which has been a bit of a shame. Um, but hopefully, we'll get out and do some touring. Think that the world has changed again. I'm now European <laughs> again. Um, I was so going to yeah, say because you, you you living in I mean growing up in the Netherlands and I would have imagined that you had a, a, a acquired the 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 Dutch citizenship back then, but but you didn't. You just you're British and now you just became a Maltese as well, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I cheated. I married one, and uh, <laughs> through so I'm getting lots and lots and lots of. Uh, calendar entries about school for the kids um yeah marrying natasia um i didn't marry her to become maltese because at the time i had no idea we were going to move here um but we, we got married <clears throat> she became english which cost her loads of money and a huge exam and you know have you got a british passport yeah i've been through it all so yeah. you've been through the whole process right yeah the whole it's process insane. Yeah. it's insane you are more british than i am it's, hats off to you it's it's honestly i mean you go through that um i think first the the the, the english test that you have to pay quite a bit of money to do it it's yeah. really really silly yeah i mean it's really silly and um the well, like how many how many people in the houses of lords in scotland and what do they eat in wales on a thursday and it's just like come on exactly no one knows this stuff no. british people don't know these things yeah yeah well becoming maltese go to this office hello okay we're going to interview you what did you buy your wife for christmas last year um it's <laughs> a harry potter dressing what color are the walls in your living room uh white <laughs> What did you watch on TV last night? Uh, um, physical 100. And who could meet? Okay, get out, bring your wife in. They ask her the same questions. If we're the same, you go, they're like, welcome to Malta. You're Maltese now. I'm like, what? what? You don't want me to speak any Maltese? You don't want me? They're like, no, no, welcome to the country you're in. That's it. Really? I mean, that you have easy. to be married for a certain number of years. And, you know, 
and, and I had to have um, a signatory and, and somebody to you know these different things in place. But but there was no no exam, no money. Just you're in, you're Maltese. Congratulations, you're now European and Schengen. Welcome to. Oh my God, that was, that's so Ireland. easy. Yeah, easy and straightforward. <laughs> oh, I was very proud, very proud to become Maltese. Oh yeah, you guys been together for for a long while, right? Ten years, mate. Ten years. Crazy. Years. Huh? And how many kids now? Two. Fantastic. No and... more. <laughs> <laughs> got a three-year-old girl and a six-year-old boy oh man that's beautiful that's beautiful yeah. what a what a an amazing thing to well have in life i guess you know a beautiful family like that sometimes i wonder if um if i'll get to that point you know if something like that something you incredible know, like that will happen to me not that i am like focusing on that right now yeah. but you know sometimes you wonder because when you're in your 20s you're like nah not thinking about it then you yeah. start your 30s and then you don't think about it and then now i'm on my just started my 40s and then i'm like not thinking about it still but like but then again i mean till when yeah. you're gonna wait I mean, for that you know you're lucky though carl because you're a guy and and really the only and also you're healthy because you need a strong core or you're going to have a back problem you're going to have joint issues you know juggling children play, running around with them all the time changing nappies at three in the morning and you know, all the endless stuff you'll be fine you know it, it's it's harder for the woman if she gets a bit older obviously physically um but i i mean i'm an older father i'm 47 and my daughter's three And, and at first I thought, oh no, what am I doing? This, this is, this is uh, wrong. But it's amazing. Because at 47, you know, I have businesses in place. I have my, I don't, I, I'm blessed in as far as I don't have to worry about money. And um, I, so now I have time to be with my kids. And, and I spend every day when they come back from school, I'm there cooking and chilling out and talking to them, building Legos and Play-Doh. And she wants to take, I go into the bedroom and I'm feeding her dolls ice cream and stuff. And, and I really, I love playing and being with my kids, which I think in my younger years, I wouldn't have been able to do so much because I would have been having to grind and work and get my, you know, that between your 20s and 40s is when you go, okay, what am I going to do? What's, what's the dream? Pursue that dream. And then when you get out of that side of things and you're a bit more stable, stability, then you've got more time. Stability. So now I feel word. like it was the right time to have kids a bit older for me because I have more time to spend with them. And COVID, although it was awful, for me it was kind of a blessing because I moved here three years ago and I, and I spent every day of three years pretty much apart from being in america or um other countries for touring or, or clinics i spent them with my kids you know and, and a lot of parents don't get that opportunity it's true it's very true it's very true rob i wanted to ask you um where does your entrepreneurial side comes from Because you've always, I mean, you've been very uh, obviously uh, successful in in all of the things that you've you've engaged, and and they're not small 
things even from starting just you know like you said uh, posting videos on YouTube uh, just to put something out there for for the times you know to not you know to be able to show uh, people what you're doing in terms of guitar techniques and stuff but then eventually that uh, becomes a source of income and it becomes a something that you create a bit sure. on, a, on a professional level and and then obviously uh, putting together uh, Chapman guitars and succeeding with that which is like uh, you've got to be very courageous to to enter that kind of world because with, with there's so many competitors out there and so many big brands out there and so many things that you know um, that can detriment you know your 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 path within this uh, realm of the business so where would you say this entrepreneurial uh, side uh, of Rob Chapman comes from um, <laughs> it comes from when I used to work for Richard Branson um, I spent a number of years <clears throat> while I was teaching guitar working for Virgin Mobile and at the, at the inception of that business as it was launched I was working at Virgin Mobile originally as a call center guy on the phones hello welcome to Virgin Mobile how can I help you Rob Chapman speaking to um, to becoming a team leader to being more involved in marketing to the point where I met Richard Branson a, a bunch of times and, and would be able to speak to him and so I did what anyone would have done I went how did you make loads of money what would it what what, did you, what what do you do and um and he just said whatever you see around you that is successful is mainly successful because of the brand and i didn't i didn't really get it at first i, I remember one day walking into the, the coffee area and he got a coffee from the machine. He was just stood there <clears throat> in his jumper. I was like, hey, man, got a coffee. I've never been afraid of people. And I think a lot of people would be around him. So he kind of liked that I was just, hey, man, you know, how's it going sort of thing. And we were talking about brand. And he said, you know, do you want to buy a bottle of, of sugar water? I've got this brown sugar water. It's delicious. And I'm like, so, you know, it sounds good. I've got pepsi coke it's the fresh new and, and i'm like all right I, I i see what happened there you cast a magic spell on a thing to make it have a feeling that people want to associate with or interact with brand is what people buy and that's that's okay as long as the product is good, then it's fine. And I started to understand that brand and branding is a bit like a song. It's something that gives you a feeling. It's something that leaves you with an emotion. It, it's creating a world in which you can exist. And so for me, I fell in love with that concept. I never set out to own a guitar company. I was given a guitar company twice <laughs> once with Chapman when I was offered this signature guitar the the ML1 we, we, we were going to make 50 we ended up selling 500 and it became 
the company that set this one guitar up said, you should really consider launching this as a brand. And I was like, are you kidding me? What do you mean? And they were like, you've got a brand there. It's not just one guitar. And thankfully, Lee Anderson was there to help out and connect the dots and make it into something real. And then more recently with Cerberus, Michael, a friend of mine in America, wanted me to be involved with his guitar company and bought me in as a part owner. I have never intentionally gone out to launch a business. They have been given to me or come to me through whatever universal means is. Uh, but I have been good and successful at branding them so that the they have a feeling that people can associate with. And for Chapman, it was all about collaboration, being part of a, a fraternity, a, a band of brothers, and maybe like three or four sisters, <clears throat> and, um, and working together and, and people and music and stuff, and not competing. Yeah, there are other guitar brands. That's great. I like them. I would be honoured to be considered one of the guitar brands amongst the big five or six, you know. I have no aspirations to be Fender. I can't. They are Fender. Um, so but it was working with Richard Branson where I learned about brand. And he said, you know, <laughs> even if you want to go and wash windows, but you work for yourself, you'll make more money than 80% of jobs on the high street because you're working for yourself. It's your time, it's your money, it's your income. And, and I've never been told that before. No one had ever said, no one at school had said, oh yeah, have you ever thought about having your own business and then, you know, having a taxi rank or a takeaway or a burger van or, but then suddenly I'm like, well, how much do burger vans make? What? They, a burger van can make half a million a year? What the, you know? I remember on a train from, from Trowbridge to London, I sat opposite this guy. It was like a movie scene. He pulled his newspaper down and he went, do you want now to make loads of money? And I was like, what? <laughs> and it was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how I made loads of money. And I'm like, okay. This is a bit like one of those adverts you get on YouTube now. And he said, when I was 20... I worked on a popcorn stand in the middle of Trowbridge Town. And I'm like, oh, okay. And it was like a little tiny uh, barrel, two wheels and a stand, and it would make popcorn, and he would sell it. And he said he saved that money, and he bought the popcorn stand. And then he had someone else run it for him, and he let them... He's still there because yeah. it cut out for a second. He let them keep 50% of the profit. And the other 50% he saved while he did a different job and he bought another popcorn stand. And then it cascades. And I saw the pattern and I realized, what if you keep going? You're going to have 100 popcorn stands. The world's going to be full of popcorn and you're going to have loads of money. And he said, yeah, but when you get three popcorn stands, you buy a burger van. And then when you've got three burger vans, you buy a restaurant, and when you've got three restaurants, and then you keep going. And I was like, what? Wow. 
this is interesting this this is uh something it's like a game it's like a computer game it builds and, and i was interested in that and so i think i've retained the interest in growing things that are creative and to do with celebration of brotherly love and music and stuff so chapman exists and snake Oil exists and cerberus and guitar marie and i'm sort of dancing around the outskirts trying to make it all work <clears throat> but not interfere with the people that really run it <laughs> for me you know yeah 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 um i was um I, i'm gonna mention again this podcast i was uh listening today while i was out on my run and uh one thing that uh giles was mentioned mentioned was the the famous montserrat studios you know don't know if you will remember about that but it was a huge studio in the 80s that uh, george martin um it was basically yeah. his dream you know it was in a town with like uh potentially i think it was like eleven thousand people back then and extremely remote very difficult to get to obviously can you imagine like you know the logistics involved not only to set up the studio but also to bring you know clients there and uh one thing that he was saying was that the idea was to basically create a space where the artists themselves would have just the inspiration to lose themselves not thinking about time not what time of the day it was not being recognized out on the streets having uh, the privacy to be able to go to a chicken shop which is something that elton john used to love to do by himself and just you know buy some chicken wings you know <laughs> as simple as that and uh and i and i remember that um that you have some uh ideas and plans to perhaps put together like a studio in Malta right at some point yeah. and um, and I think I've mentioned it to you over the phone when we spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago and I was thinking again today about that you know having like a place where it's beautiful where the weather is nice where you have access to the sea where it's not huge and that you can actually accommodate people so you know uh, artists and perhaps you know uh, uh, um, uh, crew and people can just come around and, and sleep on the surroundings and and just work and play music because I mean I can't really think of anywhere in the world now that would um, focus on such thing and obviously on such thing being on a like somewhat within a budget because not many artists well when you think about it like how many newcomers would have like a big big interest in going to somewhere beautiful spend an entire yeah. month in the studio just creating art and music but not spending a ridiculous amount of money which is something that they probably don't have you know it's true it's true well we should talk about that later on Carl. all right okay <laughs> my my um the, the other guitar player in clockwork luke owns the biggest and best studio on the island and it's in the middle of the island and uh, everything we record is recorded there. Uh, we have put up artists before and, and done that kind of thing there. And it's it's a beautiful experience. But yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing. No, definitely. Let's talk about it. It's something that um, if you manage to get something like that going, I mean, it it would be very unique. I mean, like most most artists nowadays, they just don't have the budget to to kind of like. 
uh, to afford spending time in the studio and yeah that's it and more often than not it's just it's, i mean nowadays you can do pretty much like everything anywhere you know uh you can just you just bring the right mics and you just you know uh you just use the right the right you know uh gear and personnel and you can just create you know amazing stuff virtually anywhere but there are still yep. some artists that really do want to kind of like go and work in the studio you know write in the studio communicate with people like try different things and you know uh, be a bit more crafty and not just you know uh, use their uh, neural dsps or campers and things like that you know i don't not the neural i'm using neural at the moment it's, <laughs> it, it, it's you know sometimes a real amp is necessary it's necessary sometimes it's good to just have a little briefcase that you put down as, <laughs> that's my amp that's my that's my jcm 800 t203 do you do so. you collect i mean you mentioned earlier on that you uh, um you, you probably have a a lot of gear but is it something that you kind of like you collect and you kind of constantly like on ebay trying to find specific bits and bobs no uh, um i mean i'm i'm very very fortunate in my life that a lot of people send me things and so i am blessed to have uh, i mean the room i'm in is full of stuff that people send me so I mean, I'm ashamed to say that sometimes, I mean, there are things here I've never even tried. Um, so I don't really buy a lot because I'm like, God, I've got things here I haven't unboxed yet. I feel awful saying that, but it's the truth. You know, people just send me things. They're like, hey, Rob, check out this new thing I've made because it's, it's you know, you could put it on YouTube. And I'm like, cool, send it. And I promise I'll try and open it soon. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people take my products and modify them and then send me what they've done so i have a lot of guitars where either somebody has made a modification that i've gone wow that's really cool i'll buy it from you so i can take a look or they just send it to me um but the, the, the only thing i really want to buy right now is an axe effects i just want to try one out mm. i've never tried one i'm desperate to try an fm3 but i think they're going to bring something out now so i'm holding off until now just in case yeah yeah in terms of um, your go-to guitars, do you have like a couple of axes that you go to normally? ML1. This is the Hot Rod. This was a guitar that, that we made um, a, quite a while back. I wrote a lot of music on this, um, a lot of Dorja anyway. <clears throat> I use this. I use a Ghost Fret, which was the sort of EX uh, exploration style body um and whatever is the latest newest guitar so i get the feel of it really my favorite guitar is is the latest one i've been sent by my team because we get so many prototypes and you know we're working on some original stuff and so there's a lot of there's a flow a consistent and continual flow of product through my flat and a lot of it ends up at the studio Paul Luke's got rafters full of prototypes and, you know, Chapman's here and there. But I tend to navigate back to the Ghost Fret and the Hot Rod, and actually the, there was a guitar called the ML3RC, because I was I was much more involved in their design. I, I, I wanted this to exist, and so it was made. The Ghost Fret, I went to the factory and worked on the CAD with them. The ML3RC was, was really my signature model back in the heyday of Dorje. 
for so because I was so involved in their DNA, they are how I would want them anyway. Do you know what I mean? Whereas mm-hmm. Chapman now isn't for me. Chapman is for other, every, everyone else. You know, it's it's the People's Guitar Company. We collaborate with other people through polls or through meeting them or they email us or whatever means necessary. And now I view Chapman Guitars. It's a guitar company that makes products for, for lots of other people. I've got mine. You know, I don't need to make one for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I make one anyway. Mm. But I'm kind of, I've got three or four that I love. Like the Semi Hollow MR3, just, it's amazing, you know. Um, but I'm, I'm a lot less into gear than people would think. And a lot more into great coffee, a beautiful meal, and and, uh, jamming and writing music with my band. It's all about writing music with the guys in the studio and then taking it live, you know. Right on, Rob. Right on. I want to be mindful of your time, so I'm going to start winding down this beautiful conversation. I'm going to get into some roller coaster questions. I just have a feeling that we could just keep going and going and going. So I'm sure we're going to okay. have to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to have to do a part two at some point. Um, sure. And uh, so I would, I would start basically the first one would be, um, do you have or follow any morning routines yourself? Yes. I wake up, I have coffee, I practice a Chinese martial art called Bagua. Baguajang, which is spiral dragon boxing. It's, it's, it has many health benefits, but ultimately it's a martial art, so it's for killing people. <laughs> and uh, I've been doing internal Chinese martial arts since I was eight. Wow. Wow. Jing Yi, Bagua, Taiji, Yi Chuan. Uh, lots of ice to teach. Wow. Many, many talents, Rob. I didn't know about that either. So you... I keep that secret, but I suppose well, I've, I've made some videos where I've shown it a little bit before, but the whole other side of my life is Chinese martial arts, Chinese food, Chinese language, Chinese medicine. My father's an acupuncturist. He's actually with me today. Um, he's a member of the British Acupuncture Council. He, he, he induced my son's birth, you know. Um, wow. So I, I was always going to be an acupuncturist, martial artist until I got a guitar. Wow. Fascinating. Fascinating. Had no idea. And um, I apply all of the theory of Chinese martial arts to, to guitar playing, which is why I'm, I'm soft all the time, which is why I'm fast. Because if you're hard, you, you can't be quick. You need to be soft. So I, I use softness and yielding and the, the concepts of, of, I suppose, Taoism and apply five element theory and Taoism to writing music in the guitar. That's a whole other conversation uh well it's a good segue to the second question which would be what's um you normally i ask if the individual is a spiritual person but i think from everything that we have talked today that's kind of like um pretty clear that they you they seem to be and what would be do you have any particular beliefs any religions that you follow anything that you do in terms of his spirituality on a daily basis, personally? Uh, I haven't subscribed to a deity. So, so I... I wasn't expected to be asked that. I, I haven't chosen a path to follow. 
but through my own experiences with, with hours and hours of meditation and, and mindfulness, um, <laughs> I know that there is no death. I feel like we are a radio or a TV and we tune into us, but actually us is just one thing. Like, this is all of us, and then this is Rob Chapman, and then dead. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> so I feel like the body is, is receiving the spirit to an extent. Uh, but I am not... Uh, you wouldn't classify me as religious. I am a, a spiritually-minded, interested person, and I have many, many... Uh, wonderful friends who are Christian, who are Buddhist, who are Hindu, who are Muslim. And I feel like we're all looking at the same apple from different points of view. It's the same thing, you know, whether you want to call it God or whatever you want to call it. I think it's the same. We're all alive in the same simulation or whatever it is. And we're all describing it from our cultural points of view. And there's a lot to be celebrated about that. Do you practice meditation? Yes, every single day. When, when you practice in what the Western world calls internal Chinese martial arts, and people are very familiar with Tai Chi, although they see it as this soft thing that, that is ineffective and just an exercise, actually it's all breaking bone movements and wrestling and a lot of grappling and gouging, but you don't really see that in the West. And in China, it's almost always almost completely forgotten. There are very few people that really know it. But it's all done incredibly slowly to train the, the motor muscles and the, the slow triggers and quick triggers and to allow you to fully coordinate the skeleton. And you can't do that until you are mindfully centered, breathing diaphragmatically and circulating the qi. So all of my practice is meditational. And I do a lot of mindful guitar playing so I'll, I'll drone a note and, I, and I'll um, play modally over it in a meditative state very cool wow very interesting very interesting this this day you just mentioned that you will play a note and just try to kind of like tune in into that and sort of like be extremely present and just let that flow through you Channeling. Channeling, yeah, channeling. Yeah. I mean, I, I firmly believe on that too. I firmly believe that um, we're just, uh, we're experiencing, perceiving, and uh, interacting with five senses that we have, but everything is coming from basically the perspective of the mind, and the mind emerges from consciousness, and we are just pure consciousness. We are just all one, but we forgot about that because it's... Um, thousands hundreds of thousands of years of evolution and, and yeah and as, as as this creature as this uh, living biological creature and um and we completely forgot we get too attached to to the interactivity of daily basis and the world that we perceive as being real so um well yeah that that was a really good way of saying it because it's interesting now how physics is learning to explain a lot of the phenomena that certain spiritual practices have pointed to for example i'm not physically solid neither are you mm. <laughs> I, 
I am a living chord. You know, I'm a series of, of vibrations at a certain frequency. There's nothing physical in me or you or anything around me. And actually, everything is one thing. It's one vibrational frequency. Literally. And um, when you see and realize that uh, nothing really exists, I'm creating everything by being an observer. I think the game changes. For me, it did anyway. For me, it did it too. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Uh, so you mentioned it having a great meal. So what kind of food do you go uh, when uh, you're in need of a treat? I'm gonna treat oh, myself tonight. A treat. Yeah. So I probably, I probably go to Vecchia Napoli in Imrihel and get a pizza. They do amazing. They do gluten-free, dairy-free pizzas, and they're amazing. Um, I love pizza. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't? <laughs> Who doesn't? Rob, my friend, thank you so much for your time today, man. I mean, Thanks, honestly, um, I've learned uh, quite a bit today just from hearing you talk. And uh, and thank you for sharing uh, your personal stories, very personal stories with us here today. I think there's huge, huge value in that. And I'm Thanks, sure that Steve. people will be uh, thrilled to, uh, if they didn't know, uh, to know a little bit more about uh, your life journey and some work, oh. somehow be inspired by it to you know get out there and do things and just well, be better and grow yeah i hope it helps and also come to malta at some point come and get some coffee and some pizza come and have I, will. I will as long as you don't mind getting up at 6 a.m with the kids you come <laughs> come and crash it brilliant thanks my friend i hope you guys enjoyed this conversation this podcast as much as i did doing it so if that's the case please do follow on instagram at rollercoaster carl myself at carl casagrande on twitter same thing facebook same thing uh do subscribe do subscribe on itunes subscribe on spotify that's very very much appreciated thank you and have a great, great day. Cheers. Bye-bye.